Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Dynasty Locker Room Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tess Monster. I'm here with the co-founder of the Dynasty Locker Room Nation. Nation, how are we doing today? Really excited to be here. I mean, it's been a lot of work over the last few months to get to this point, but being able to, to launch the Dynasty Locker Room website, being able to start this podcast, being able to bring Dynasty Sports as a forefront for our website, something that's grown over the last few years, something both of us have been a part of for 10 plus years. It's just going to be really exciting. Right. And, you know, you think of it 10 plus years, it makes us sound really old, but it's one of those things where some of this information just hasn't been around for very long. Obviously, we've seen football take a huge step forward in, in the dynasty space. But even today, you know, rookie rankings for baseball and hockey, starting goalies, some of this stuff just isn't out there. And we're already doing the research on it ourselves. And why not share it with everybody else? Being able to bring that community aspect of it, a website where people can discuss dynasty in depth. I mean, we're looking at, you can always find the information on a Julio Rodriguez or a Bobby Witt, but where do you find the pre-breakout Vlad Guerrero, the pre-breakout Juan Soto, being able to find those guys deeper in your drafts, uh, why do some people value them higher? How do you identify those prospects? And, and what are your dart throws going to be this year to try to hit on one of those guys? is really going to be exciting for us to be able to dive a little bit deeper into was that player's breakout sustainable? Uh, what kind of free agents are you looking at on the waiver wire that could actually be valuable to your team in a dynasty league? This is just uh, going to be a fun place to be able to pick each other's brains talk about Dynasty like we have done every day for the last 10 years and uh, bring it to the wider audience. Yeah, and, you know, it's one of those things where you see every website and they've got, here's this week's waiver article, and half the players are owned in 90% of leagues. So it's one of those things where you, you just got to go a little bit deeper dive, and we're already doing it, and you don't care about the information that isn't relevant. Why did Aaron Nola have a five ERA last year after having a career three ERA? So it, it's important to go a little bit deeper to see the underlying stats and pick out the player or two that we really think can break out. And it's important to do that for all three sports because that's what everybody cares about. And that's really what the Dynasty Locker Room wants to be and is pushing towards is that place where you can go for baseball, you can go for hockey, you can go for football. And look at those players that aren't going to be rostered in most of your leagues that could be really valuable, those prospects that might not be on your draft board if you have a five-round draft. But we think it's a good dart throw. Some of the members in the forum think the player's a good dart throw. Being able to pick each other's brains and just really have that uh, added bonus of uh, like a hive mind and being able to go forward. Certainly. And, you know, baseball is one of the things that's going to be picking up steam in the next couple months. And I think when we talk about baseball, one of the things that's on the forefront of everyone's mind is what is going on with this lockout? Nation, do you have any insight for us? Is there an end in sight? That is the question that everyone wants to know. Uh, I think anything anybody's talking about right now is, is just rumors and speculation. But I do think it was a good sign that they actually had a meeting where things were discussed versus the meeting in December where, uh, what, that last seven minutes and they walked out. 
So being able to actually have a discussion starting now with maybe some pressure getting towards the end of January here and thinking about missing some spring training games, missing some uh, start of the regular season. It's putting a little bit more pressure on both sides at this point to come to a, a agreement, a conclusion, and be able to, to give baseball back to the fans who uh, were deprived of it in 2020, got a lot of really fun, really exciting playoffs in 2021, and the start of a really exciting free agency and rumors that now has been on pause. So hopefully we'll get there. But again, I'm not holding my breath that it's done by the end of March or the middle of March. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think we see it trending in the right direction. Obviously, they're a little bit further apart and, you know, they're they're haggling over starting salary in the first couple of years for, for major league players. They're talking about adding a bonus pool and they're quite a bit apart there. So I, I, I think we're in a good place as far as finding a deal, but I'm not super confident that we're there to start spring training on time. But it's one of those things that's tough, especially for us in Minnesota. We don't have that trip to look forward to at this point for Florida, for Arizona to get out of the frozen tundra and go see some of these players, uh, especially some of these prospects that we're really looking forward to seeing. And, you know, we, we hope it starts on time. We certainly hope that the regular season starts on time for the reasons you mentioned. And you touched on some of the free agent signings we saw before that. What do you make of what Texas is doing? I think the sense of what is Texas doing, like, really sums up my thoughts. Like, last year they get rid of Gallo. Uh, somebody who the fans really liked, he really liked the town, he liked the community, he liked the organization. So that seemed to signal that they were going to rebuild. They were going to try to retool a pipeline that is a little void of talent. You have a couple of nice players on uh, the top 100, but you're not, you don't have a deep pipeline. Uh, your starting pitching staff has a lot to be desired. So being able to rebuild and uh, kind of grow seemed like the next logical step. And then all of a sudden there's a quarter billion dollars spent on Simeon and Seeger and Nicole Calhoun, but they just don't have the depth in their lineup and they really don't have really any starting pitching. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and, you know, you look at that lineup where they've got a Nick Solak, they've got an Adalis Garcia, and Nate Lowe, and they're nice pieces, and you add that to those three guys, and, you know, it's it's got the makings of a nice lineup, but what are they doing with that pitching staff? They've got a John Gray who they went out and got, and he's been a nice player for Colorado over the last couple seasons, and I certainly think he'll be better when he's away from the hitter-friendly confines at Coors Field, but this is a starting staff that, realistically features Spencer Howard in that rotation. And that's not something I'm excited for. And you talk about that prospect depth and I only have three players in that in my top 100 for them. So it, it really remains to be seen what they do with that unhappy marriage of pretty good hitting and pretty lackluster pitching. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to be thinking John Gray and Spencer Howard are carrying us deep into the playoffs. So going and spending a bunch of money on, these players doesn't make sense in that regard. Like it reminds me of when they went out and gave the biggest contract ever to A-Rod and then went and averaged 90 wins over three years and didn't make the playoffs because they, they didn't have a full team. They didn't have uh, a roster that could support that talent that was there to be able to get into the playoffs. And now you look at kind of, they added those pieces, but they're in a division with the angels 
who they have watched for years and years and years have the best player in baseball and another supporting piece or two, but be stuck in what I've referred to as Angels purgatory because I feel like they've been just outside of the playoffs, but not bad enough to have a good draft pick for years and years. Like that division is going to still be really hard. I don't, I don't see them being able to, to finish near the top of it. Like, what do you think? Yeah, and you you talk about that division. It's a team that still features the Houston Astros at the fr- as the front runner, and you know, banging all the trash cans you want isn't going to take away how good of a team that is. I mean, you're talking about a pitching staff that's still really deep. You've got a lineup that's really solid, and I don't know how you can't call them a front runner. And then you've got what's going on in Seattle. What do you make of what's going on over there? Seattle is going to be something that over the course of the next few months. I'll be banging my own trash cans on saying I want to buy all of the shares of the hitters and the pitchers a part of that organization right now. I think they are on the up and up going and getting signing a Robbie Ray. Uh, rumors are that they're all in on getting one of the top shortstops in the market, even if it's like a, a one-year stop deal, but they have all of these prospects. They have a great uh, starting pitching rotation with a Robbie Ray, a Marco Gonzalez, a Logan Gilbert, a Dunn, all these people, only Gilbert right now has a projected ERA over four, and that's because he kind of tailed off last year. And then they have a Hancock and a Kirby still coming up in minors. Like, this is a team that could end up being a dynasty juggernaut for your fantasy players and a juggernaut in baseball coming up too. Yeah, I think you said it best. I mean, this is a team that's already deep with a young player like Kyle Lewis, who we'd like to see rebound, but They've got Mitch Hanniger, a Jared Kellenick, who we all expect to, you know, regain his top status. They've got your boy Julio Rodriguez, a Taylor Trammell. I mean, this is a really deep team on all fronts. And I I don't see any way that they're not the next dynasty team in the MLB just from all of the young talent that they can build around for years to come. Especially being one of the front runners. I think it's right now the last rumor I heard was between them and the Giants for Suzuki in the outfield too. So if you're running that outfield with Kalanick, Rodriguez, uh, Suzuki, and then you can move a Hanniger to first base or DH, you have the position utility of a Ty France signing one of those uh, middle infielders to cover there and then waiting in the wings uh, for some of your infield prospects to come up. Like that's a really deep lineup that exceeded expectations last year. And I don't see them taking a step back with, everything they've done with all of the underlying stats there. This is going to be a team that uh, continues their push for the playoffs and continues to be uh, kind of that, what Toronto was before last year, a team that you expected to break out, maybe not to the degree that some of those Toronto players did last year. But you want to buy shares in there to be a part of, uh, as they grow, as all of these players uh, become into their primes and develop, and all those counting stats are just going to be great. And I, I will be on board for podcast after podcast saying I'm in on Seattle this year. Absolutely. But you can't talk about Toronto with talking about what's going on there. Obviously, you know, they lose out on a Robbie Ray, but real aggressive going out and getting a Kevin Gossman, a Yimmy Garcia. This is a pitching staff that looks to feature a Kevin Gossman, Barrios, Hyunjin Ryu, assuming he rebounds, Alec Manoa, obviously, burst onto the scene last year and a really strong bullpen to go with that lineup. What do you think of Toronto? I think if we're talking about the bullpen, you have a Romero, you have a Merriweather coming back. 
if the stripling for some of those long innings, Jimmy Garcia not needing to be in that closer role and being able to, to pitch the seventh inning and some of that rotation being able to get into the sixth inning, as good as their lineup is, this rotation and bullpen could compete with being the most valuable part of their team. Like everyone knows Vlad, everyone knows Bichette. You're all, you're getting a bunch of runs from that lineup. You're really excited if you have pieces there, but in real life baseball and in fantasy, this rotation and this bullpen is going to be really elite to be able to carry this team as well. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to see what they do in the AL East, and that might be the thing I look forward to the most next season, seeing a true four-team race in the AL East. You look at stacking Toronto's big team against, you know, the the unsung talents of the Tampa Bay Rays. You look at the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, who are always perennial candidates there, and it's going to be fun to see where this shakes out. And obviously, with only two wild cards, the most teams that can make it are only three. That's going to be I mean, one of the biggest storylines starting is when you look at projections for who's going to be able to win the AL East, you realistically have a, an argument to be made for all of them. I mean, they were all competitive last year. They're all going to be, uh, I expect, going in and signing some more pieces. Like, I'm looking at uh, the rumors that the Yankees are in on that one-year prove-it deal for Trevor Story. Like, he was trying to possibly emulate uh, Sydney in last year as cashing in on that one-year prove-it. But putting if that happens, putting story in the middle of that lineup, uh, that's going to be insane. And I don't know how kind of that lineup compares to the rest of the LEs, but I'd be really afraid um, if Trevor Story ends up there in the middle. Yeah, and, you know, you look at a guy like Trevor Story, and, you know, if he needs to do a one-year prove-it deal, so be it. But I think this is a guy who's going to be good wherever he goes. And he's one of the guys we were looking at last year at the beginning where, he had like three home runs between April and May, and we're kind of looking at the batted ball metrics, and it's insane to think that he had 12 balls that would have been home runs almost anywhere else, but he happened to be in Coors Field, and regardless of how well the ball carries there, the balls just seem to die on the warning track for him where they were projected home runs almost everywhere else. So he's a guy I like a lot to rebound this year. Yeah, when we're talking about looking for value and – the lofty expectations that Trevor, Trevor Story carried in last year and didn't live up to them. And now this year, everyone kind of in these initial rankings, kind of forgetting about how good he was two years ago and three years ago, and that he's still a relatively young uh, player, which is crazy to say, because, you know, years ago when we were playing, he would be considered a young player before you had all these 21, 22 year olds breaking onto the scene really early and, and carrying a position. But there's Trevor Story is somebody that if I'm doing a startup draft this year, I'm buying 100% of the shares because I'm going to be getting him, I think, a round and a half, maybe two rounds later than I projected to go. Yeah, and, you know, you can't talk about Trevor Story with without talking about players that we seem to like more than consensus. And one of the players that I seem to like quite a bit more than consensus is Shane Bieber is my number one starting pitcher for Dynasty. I mean, you're looking at a guy who, in your favorite shortened 2020 season, was, you know, the triple crown winner as a pitcher. But this is a guy who doesn't turn until 27 until next year. And he's a strikeout machine. He's got a low ERA. He pitches deep into ball games. This is a guy that I love a lot. And, you know, there's, there's not a lot not to like, to be perfectly honest, because I only seeing him getting better from here. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm he's not my number one starting pitcher for Dynasty. Um, I think you have a lot of people in that conversation with him when you're looking at a, a Corbin Burns, when you're looking at a Walker Bueller, uh, if you want to go to the best pitcher in baseball in the Grom. I mean, there's a lot of people that could be that that number one starting pitcher. And to me, they all proved it last year, being healthy, uh, dealing with the ball situation. So I'm wondering, are you not putting any stock into the sticky ball? Or are you thinking that uh, his little couple starts after that uh, showed that he still had those kind of spin rates that were effective to get people out? Or kind of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on a few things here. Uh, you, you talked about DeGrom, and there's no doubt that he's the best pitcher in baseball, especially what he's proven over the last couple of years. But we're also talking about a guy who's seven years younger than DeGrom. So there's a lot to like from that standpoint, too. And when you talk about a Corbin Burns, you know, I see a guy who in the National League is doing the same things that Bieber has been doing for even longer in the American League, which is a tougher league, obviously, with the DH and uh, definitely a guy that you and I both watch a lot at Target Field. So this is a guy I like a lot from that standpoint. And when you're talking about those spin rates in the baseball, and it's one of those things where he got hurt in early June, and obviously a lot of things happened with your Garrett Cole. A couple other guys seemed to lose a little bit of steam because of that. But, you know, we only saw him for two short starts, but he pitched six innings over two starts and gave up one earned run. And, you know, I haven't seen anything to indicate that he's going to be a victim of that. And it's certainly not a guy that I'm willing to group into that conversation based on, you know, lack of a lack of a sample size for sure. I, obviously, with what he's done in his career, I mean, it's hard to to not like him. I mean, again, we're talking about value. If you have Beaver as your number one starting pitcher, you might be able to get him a round and a half, two rounds later than the first pitcher that goes off the board. I mean, right now, I think the consensus is Bieber somewhere in the mid-30s. And you have that that first pitcher off the board at the beginning of the second round. So you're you're looking at a round and a half of value if if Bieber ends up being that number one starting pitcher. So that's uh, obviously some value you're going to try to sneak out of some of these upcoming drafts and be able to to really build your rotation around uh, a Bieber who uh, again with those K rates with those uh, going deep into games and just being a a quality star machine is going to carry all of your categories. So, I mean, it's really hard to argue with against a Bieber, but I mean, there are a lot of players, I think, that are on that same level. Yeah. And, you know, pitching deep into games, I think, is one of the things that really adds to his value. I mean, certainly most leagues aren't counting innings pitched as a category in Roto, and you might get some value there, certainly in a points league. But you're talking about a guy who is going to probably lead your team in strikeout rates, at least as a starting pitcher. But you know, before last year when he got injured, his walk rate was among the best in Major League Baseball. I mean, he's continuously posted a walk rate around two. So, you know, he's going to do good for your whip. He's obviously an ERA dynamo if he's going to win a triple crown. So this is a guy that I like to win a lot of categories for you week to week. Or certainly if you're doing a year-long roto, he's going to be one of your best assets. Uh, who's one of the guys that you love a lot to steal some value in, especially later? Well, breaking news, I'm going back to the Mariners. I'm going to Ty <laughs> France, who's listed at like 230 to 250 in the overall rankings for people. And I just think that you're getting so much more value out of him than a 20th round pick. I mean, if you're looking at Ty France in the 20th round, somebody who hits about 300 the last two years, 
somebody that's going to be hitting at the top or right after these studs that we're talking about coming up, a Julio Rodriguez, a, a Mitch Hanniger who's been criminally underrated for his whole career, being able to either be on base and get uh, driven in for runs or get some RBIs being behind these guys. I mean, he's not going to get you any steals. So this is some, that's why he falls down the list a little bit more. When you're looking at him in the 20th round, somebody who's going to maybe get you 90-90 with 20 home runs and a 300 average, that's something that, I mean, I can't turn away from value. That kind of, those kind of numbers are, you're looking at 15th to 12th round value. So you're stealing like on five to seven rounds of value, getting him down there in the 20th. I'm going to be planting my flag in Ty France saying that he should be a part of your dynasty team, especially buying shares of what we've talked about in the Mariners. I'm all in. Yeah. And you know, when he said 230 or 250, I could have swore you were talking about his weight and not his draft value, but you know, all that aside, this is obviously a really nice player because, because of what he brings to the table, especially in that lineup. I mean, you're talking about a guy who scored 85 runs last year and hitting 73 RBIs. I mean, that's pretty nice, even without, you know, Jared Kelenic being what we think he's going to be before guys like Julio Rodriguez even hit the lineup. So I think there's a lot of long-term value less, a lot of long-term value to be found there. And especially when you're talking about a guy who gets hit at a rate more than most Houston Astros do, I think this is a guy who's an on-base percentage machine waiting to happen, clearly. But all yeah, jokes right. aside, I mean, you're talking about an 800-plus OPS and – you know, the only question I have is how much power is there, but, you know, he showed enough with 18 home runs last year where there's potential. Yeah, I mean, he went from two years ago, he hit uh, a handful of home runs last year, gets up to 18. I don't think it'd be crazy to see him get to, to 20 to 22 coming to this year. I mean, I'm not projecting him to go to 25 or 30, but I'm, I'm not projecting him for any steals. Like, I'm not counting on that. But when you look at the counting stats for runs and RBIs, you look at him being able to uh, hold his own and carry you a little bit in that position for average, if that is your final category. And also one thing that's commonly overlooked is position versatility. I think next year he'll be able to be slotted in at first base, second base, and third base. I mean, there's a lot of openings there depending on what the Mariners do. So getting a, maybe a few extra starts a week because he can be slotted in at any position uh, really in that infield outside of shortstop gives you uh, so many more opportunities for counting stats. So you're looking at maybe a couple more runs a week, uh, being able to, to flex some players around, which is something that I think is really underrated, especially being able to get late in the draft. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially when you're talking about his draft position being that late. I mean, you're getting a huge steal at it. a guy we both project to be way higher than that especially when you look at, like we mentioned, the counting stats he's going to bring to the table. And so that position versatility, the Mariners are going to be able to find any way on the planet to get him in the lineup, as we saw last year with him playing over 150 games. So it's not a question of if he's going to be in the lineup. It's where he's going to be playing. And that brings a lot to the table for you, especially in most fantasy formats. Yeah, especially when you're looking at uh, middle infield, corner infield, and just being able to slide him around wherever you need to be able to, to bring two people into the lineup on some of those low uh, game days and just getting that extra ability to try to either sneak out some, some more counting stats for categories or a few more points here and there for your points leagues. Um, I think if you're looking at him in the 20th round, I mean, let me 
be the first person to say that's way too late to be taking him. Let's go get him in the 16th, 17th round and, and get that like 13th, 12th round value out of him. For sure. And, you know, talking about players we like a lot, uh, you know, it'd be a shame not to touch on at least a few prospects. Uh, I know one of the guys that I certainly like a lot, even though he's a catcher, which is extremely volatile, especially in fantasy, but uh, I love Henry Davis. I mean, we're talking about the number one pick in the 2021 draft to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, he's my second-ranked catcher right below Adley Rutschman. Uh, but we saw huge numbers out of him at Louisville last year. He uh, he hit for a 370 average. Uh, his on-base was almost 500 with an insane slugging. Uh, he posted an 1150 OPS, which is absolutely monstrous. But on top of the 15 home runs he put up, we also saw 10 steals from him which is almost unheard of, especially at the catcher position in fantasy. What do you make of that? I think that's something that is criminally slept on for uh, the catcher position especially, but like in fantasy baseball in general, everyone touches on needing to get steals for those categories, and they focus on the guys who are going to go get 30 or 40. But if you can sneak in a catcher who's getting you 10, you can sneak in a first baseman who's getting you 10, like – you're making up that in steals compared to other players. So being able to give you that position uh, or the category flexibility coming out of catcher with maybe a 10 steals or 12 steals in a year doesn't sound like that much, but being able to, to add that on to another 10 steals and all of a sudden, instead of being at the bottom of the barrel in steals, you're in the middle ground and being able to get the other counting categories and being able to competitive in steals is a great way to build a dynasty lineup. Yeah, and especially when you're talking about a guy who projects to be an on-base machine. I mean, regardless of what that fifth category is for you in Roto, I mean, if you're in points, steals certainly don't matter nearly as much. But obviously in Roto, you know, getting those extra steals from a player who's going to give you that batting average or on-base or OPS, whatever that fifth category is, he's going to be an absolute monster. And even though Pittsburgh doesn't have the lineup in place right now to compliment him, you know, it could be a different story in two or three years. So this is a player I'm really excited to watch. Yeah, and for um, all our new readers and listeners, most of the time for fantasy baseball for us, unless otherwise noted, uh, we're a pretty a standard five-by-five five category um, when we're talking about kind of players and their position uh, flexibility and versatility with those categories. Uh, so that's why somebody like Henry Davis can be – uh, pick up a few more uh, points for his valuability with getting those, I don't know, 10 steals, 12 steals a, a year for him. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I think I've certainly talked enough. Why, why don't you tell me about your favorite prospect to watch for this year? Uh, so right now, one of the guys that um, I want to touch on, I mean, he's, he's flew up the list last year. Uh, he kind of came from what I would say nowhere when you think about kind of the general uh, big websites. I mean, we had him, I think, at a, a fourth or fifth round pick last year as one of the, the dart throws that we liked. But I'm looking at Anthony Volpe. He was a 2019 first round pick, so he does come with some pedigree in his uh, little stint at uh, rookie ball. He had nothing that was blowing uh, you out of the water. I mean, I think he hit like 220 or something. Nothing great, nothing that stood out for him there. And then he sat out 2022 during that COVID-shortened season to work out, to uh, fine-tune his approach, 
and to get into that mindset of this is how I become like a major league hitter. And then he comes out on 2021, makes a huge splash last year, 27 home runs, 33 steals, hitting about 300. We're talking Bobby Witt Jr. type numbers. And he's now getting that respect of being in some people's top 10. I mean, I've seen him as high as number two overall, a heady Bobby Witt, which is kind of crazy to me. But these are the kind of players that we were talking about earlier, being able to take those dart throws. What, what made him look good before that? How did you find him? And right now, finding him, seeing him break out makes me ecstatic. Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk about that 2019 season, but even then, you know, he drew walks at a pretty high rate. And that's something we saw him carry over into 2021. You're looking at a player who drew 78 walks in 109 games, which is absolutely huge showing plate discipline. But he broke out with obviously 27 home runs and 33 steals. I mean, this is a guy who's obviously a dual threat anytime he's on the field. And, you know, a 1027 OPS certainly doesn't hurt. I don't know about you. Right. And I think that's when we're looking at players who can make that next step forward. You mentioned the insane number of walks for a, a person in rookie ball who's only hitting 220 or 230 or whatever he hit um, in that little cup of coffee in those 100 games. Like, that's one of the things you can look at for having a good plate approach, a good eye. And then he spends 2020 building his body, fine-tuning his approach and what he's looking for it and against pro pitching, and then comes out and makes that splash. That's something that kind of validates what you're looking for. It makes you feel good when you identify that early and then it works out. And especially now when you look at all of the shortstop free agents that happened that are still free agents this year, and you don't really hear the Yankees going after them that hard. If, if the Yankees should be spending money, that's, I mean, that's the New York Yankees. But they're looking for what I hear is a one-and-done deal for like a Trevor Story because they have him waiting in the wings. They have that much confidence in him that they don't need to go get um, any of these uh, $200, 300000000 million shortstops. They have their guy that they think is going to be elite and can carry him. And if you can get him at a reasonable value this year, great. I think he's going to continue his blow-up. He has that play approach. He has that play discipline. And that's all that's going to keep carrying over. Yeah, for sure. And you touched on it best. I mean, I think this is definitely a team that, you know, we see – pick up a shortstop, certainly for 2022. I, I don't think Glaber's the answer. We saw them move him around quite a bit last year, and obviously his production's dropped quite a bit. So there's definitely an opening there, and I think the Yankees, of anyone, are going to be opening open to going after a guy like that. So I, I don't think the question is if. It's definitely a question of when, and, you know, obviously he's yet to see double-A AA or triple-A, but it's going to be interesting to see where he starts the year and how fast he can fly up. Yeah, I think that he was a, a 2019, like when you're looking at that, didn't have the greatest years as far as home runs or average. But 27 home runs in single A isn't anything that happens by accident. And that's, that's him growing into his body, um, developing. And now with that plate approach, he's going to be uh, able to go improve that in double A this year, hopefully in triple A, being able to make a splash with the Yankees. But We've been talking about some of these players we like a lot. And for whatever reason, this is like the, one of the first times where neither of us like this next player as much as a consensus. And I don't know, let me, let you introduce this player because I'm still shocked that we are both agreed that he should be lower than he is. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I, I seem to be thinking that I even have him ranked a little bit too high, which goes against everything I know to question myself, obviously. But we're, we're talking about Mookie Betts here. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who everybody seems to have as a consensus top five outfielder. And I, I just don't see anything I like. I mean, we're talking about declining numbers across the board, average, on base, exit velocity in each of the last three years. I mean, I, I just don't know how the industry seems so high on a player that is driven on numbers. I mean, all of the numbers seem to indi- indicate otherwise. What do you think? That, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the last few years, the amount of in fantasy baseball as well as uh, major league baseball has been approached to the analytics. And you've just seen every analytic that I can think of seeing that he's been declining for three years. It just seems like everyone is hung over from his 30-30 season carrying him to the championships that they just are giving him a pass. And he's he's just not elite anymore in categories. He's not going to be putting up a 30-30 season again. I don't know if he's going to be ever put up a 20-20 season again. Uh, and that's just not in the outfield uh, position. That's not good enough for me to even be touching the top 10. Yeah, and it really feels dirty to even agree with you on anything, but I will say that, you know, you look at a player who, you know, he scored 93 runs and 58 RBIs last year, and, you know, it's a nice complimentary piece, but, you know, if if he's your top outfielder, you're certainly not happy about it, and you, you definitely nailed it when you said everyone's hung over from that 2018 MVP season. I mean, 32 home runs, 30 steals. He's barely hit that combined in the last three years, especially in steals. I mean, he's not an 1,100 OPS player. And to say it was a fluky season might be much, but it certainly was a magical season for him in 2018. And I I just, that's what's carrying his value at this point, which is kind of sad, especially when you look at the players around him and there's so much more to like there. Yeah, I don't know how anybody really would want to take him over uh, Eli Jimenez or uh, Lewis Robert or Kyle Tucker or uh, Jordan Alvarez. Like all those players, I think, are just going to outshine him in pretty much every category. Like they're all a part of great offenses. They all have stolen base potential besides Jordan. They all are probably going to hit more home runs than him. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me on, on why people are still so high on Mookie Betts. Yeah, and, you know, you think about it, and, you know, I, I I even have him ranked behind Julio Rodriguez, who isn't even up yet, but you look at Julio, and he stole more than he hit home runs last year, which people don't typically think of with his profile. So it's just one of those things where Mookie is declining so fast in so many ways that I, I just have a hard time ranking him as high as I do. And honestly, I'll probably move him down from 10 in my outfield rankings just because he's regressed so heavily. And, you know, we got a a reader question a couple weeks ago where he's eligible in second base in one of his leagues. And, you know, it's one of those things where you look at second base and, you know, he's he's not Trey Turner. So he goes behind him. He's not Ozzie Albies. So he goes behind him. But probably in that Cattell Marte, Marcus Semien conversation, uh, especially when you look at the age, he's a little bit younger than Semyon. Uh, not quite as young as Cattell, but, you know, same kind of tool set where 
he's probably sits pretty comfortably in that three to five range, I think. Yeah, I'll say what that Rears question brought up kind of a good point on him being able to maybe go back to play more games this year um, at second base is something I, I hadn't really thought of about getting second base eligibility. But I don't know. I'm still, like, if he has second base eligibility, he moves up a little bit more because, again, he should be pretty consistent with that roster for counting stats. He should still draw some walks. His average will still be good. But, I mean, you're missing two categories in power and steals. It's just that lineup, too. Like, I'm not fully bought in this year on the Dodgers. I mean, there's a lot of questions on on Max Muncy and how he recovers. There's a lot of questions that Justin Turner how he recovers. There's whatever Cody Bellinger has been for the last two years. And if he still is Cody Bellinger or is he a completely different person now, it's just there's no seeger there. Like this lineup is, isn't the powerhouse that it was before. I mean, you still have some nice pieces there. Like, don't be wrong. The lineup still is still above average, but he's not guaranteed for a hundred hundred anymore with all these pieces around him. So that, it's going to drop him down too. And I don't know, I, I won't see myself ever Mookie bets ever following enough that I have any shares of them this year. Yeah. And you, you said it best. I mean, for, for where everybody else has them valued, I can't see myself ever realistically making a trade for him. And in startup, I, I don't see enough value there where I'm going to draft him anywhere near where he's going to be drafted. So it's, it's a hard conversation and probably a player I'll never be, fortunate enough to know I mean it's one of those things I think you said it best where if he's your number one outfielder are you happy no are you are you sad about it no so it's just one of those ho-hum players where you know he's he's a nice outfielder but you you certainly don't want him as your number one outfielder anymore no that's I mean that that doesn't look much like I I like him so much as a player like I enjoy watching him play baseball like I would go to games to see him play but at this point, I just don't think he lives up to his draft value um, for Dynasty, especially. Um, but enough uh, getting mad at Mookie Betts for not being the Mookie Betts of 2018. Um, let's wrap this up and, and tell everyone here what you have on tap coming up at the Dynasty locker room, um, letting people know um, some of the new articles and the new ideas you've got going on. Yeah, so the last couple of weeks I've been working on uh, my buy and sell articles for what players did last year and whether or not we can expect that success to continue uh, into 2022 and beyond. I've uh, been working on some deep dives on players like Ranger Suarez, Aaron Nola, uh, really getting into the nitty gritty and seeing what we can expect uh, moving forward. Uh, we've also been working really hard on some top prospects, whether by division or top 100. Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you got going on? I'm really excited for those prospect rankings to come out. I mean, we're looking at the top 100. Again, we've talked about like those top 20 are going to be pretty universal as far as uh, being able to see some of those top prospects everywhere. But being able to highlight some of those dart throws that we think could have that breakout is going to be really exciting and be able to build a really good conversation around that. And then diving in a little bit deeper to some of those prospects by division, some of those that might not make the top 100, but if it's a part of your favorite baseball team, like you'll know those prospects, you'll be able to tell us if we were right or wrong or who we were missing on there. So it's going to build a really great conversation 
and allow us to learn a little bit more about some prospects that maybe weren't on our radar. Yeah, and one of the other things we've been having a lot of fun with is working on our top 500 rankings, uh, really going going into the meat grinder and seeing where we've got these guys ranked, uh, especially against some of the prospects that are coming up. So that's been a lot of fun too. Especially when you think about the top 500 compared to a lot of the, the top 100 or 200 lists, you can see some of the players that might be 100 spots different in our rankings, especially compared to the consensus, compared to each other seeing what we like about them. Like some of those players that will be different. We'll be able to, to dive deep into some of these upcoming podcasts to really highlight why we think they might be a breakout player for a lot of value for you, which is going to be a lot of fun. And then we have one of the things that I'm really excited for is starting our Dynasty Baseball League. That'll be with some of our community and being able to highlight some of the great trades the great free agent pickups, the great startup draft picks that happen, give out some prizes for that, and being able to, to build a talk track and some content around what a real dynasty baseball league, how it operates, where that value is, what are the real-world trade values that come in with that. Right, and to go along with that, obviously, we're, we're going to be introducing the forum here pretty quick, uh, not only as a, a resource for those dynasty leagues, but also really to uh, – get an idea of where the community is at, what, what questions are out there, where can we direct future pod, podcasts to really get you the information that you're out there scouring for that even we don't have yet. So that's one of the, one of the things I'm really excited to add too. We are also really excited with uh, my co-founder, Tess Monster, bringing in a couple of new writers and new people to join us on that podcast. We'll have Tyler joining us to talk about a lot about prospects and a lot of deep dives onto why this person is going to break out. I know he was really big on some people that broke out last year. So we're really excited to, to see his opinions and get to bring them in there. And you have Jason joining us for fantasy football, getting some deep dives into some players that might be able to slot in to your flex spot that are available on your waiver wire. And how are you going to draft some players and how are you going to build a dynasty football team so it's really exciting being able to bring in some of these other members with us yeah it's been really fun to get these guys involved especially on some of our consensus rankings just to see where where they stack up compared to us and you know even more people to call out when they're wrong and you know ignore when they're right so it's going to be fun to have them on the team and see what they're bringing to the table and i'm pretty excited about some of the content they're coming out with absolutely and let everyone know kind of where they can find you, where they can interact with you on social media. Yeah, uh, you can find me almost everywhere at DLR Test Monster, Twitter, Reddit. Uh, obviously, you know, wherever you're listening to this, go give it a like, give it a, a comment, uh, subscribe to it. Uh, any Anything we can do to reach more people and, you know, bring, bring a little bit of knowledge uh, that's not out there anywhere to the fantasy community. And you'll be able to find me at Nation DLR everywhere. Again, appreciate a subscribe, appreciate a like, just being able to kind of grow this community and being able to kind of have a big group of people that get to talk, really just focus on Dynasty, focus on some of those specific aspects like we've been talking about um, in fantasy hockey, fantasy football, and fantasy baseball. So to wrap it up, we appreciate you listening. Uh, give us a like. And until next time.
Peace out.